0: Welcome to Primitive Moves. A podcast brought to you by Gettysburg College and Gettysburg Entrepreneurial Thinkers. I'm Marco Greenberg, author of Primitive, tapping the primal drive that powers the world's most successful people. On this podcast, I'm talking to the brightest minds in business to get their advice for students jumping into the job market and anyone at any point in their career journey. This week, I sat down with Bill Heyman, As the founder and CEO of Heyman Associates, he's recruited talent for top communications roles at some of the biggest brands in the world. He's also a graduate of Gettysburg College, and one of the reasons this podcast exists. He introduced me to Professor Drew Murphy, who then introduced me to producer Caroline Glennon, and so on. Sometimes it's all about making those connections and building those relationships, which is exactly what Bill and I talk about. We cover how to network without being disingenuous, those intangibles that separate a good hire from a great one, and how the liberal arts can kickstart a career in entrepreneurship. You'll also hear from Caroline, who had some stellar questions of her own for Bill. Here's Bill Heyman. I'm going to start upside down if you're cool with it. You told me the other day that One day, Heyman Associates is going to be run not by you, but by colleagues that you anointed. Was this a lifelong dream that you would be handing over the baton?
1: That's a great question. And it has two side stories. Number one, the most important thing is Heyman Associates has far exceeded anything I could have ever thought of. I mean, the fact that we've been in business for 32 years, we've done probably, I don't know, close to 1,500, 2,000 searches, placed candidates all over the world have offices in the U.S., in New York, San Francisco. And one of my favorite stories to tell with regard to that was when somebody asked me early on, what was your fallback position if Heyman Associates failed? And I say this without any arrogance. It's mostly out of being naive or even ignorant. I didn't have a fallback position. I just figured we'd either succeed in a little way or a big way or maybe a bigger way. And to your point about succession, my colleague Jessamine Katz, who originally joined us in New York and moved out to the West Coast, I think seven and a half years ago, is now president of the company. She's just terrific, better than I ever was. She'll be taking over the company fully in three years, but we're working very closely together now.
0: I'm biased. I personally believe the communications the communications business, internal, external, social, owned, earned, is more important now than ever. Do you see that in dealing with the top organizations, Bill, that you represent on searches, or do you think we're in the comms industry drinking our own Kool-Aid?
1: The reality is, Marco, if I just look at the business of Heyman Associates, we've never been busier. We've never been handling more senior communications searches. And there's never been a time where the companies haven't thirsted more for the strategic component of what you do. They love the fact that you understand how to put together a blog. They love the fact that you have media context. They love the fact that you can write speeches. But what they really want is your strategy. How do we articulate where we're going? How do we communicate to our employees? How do we communicate to our various audiences?
0: Were there bumps along the road? at Heyman Associates? Were there ever times where you said, oh my gosh, we got to suck it up. We got to lay people off. We got to make some changes. Or maybe it was around the time when they said recruiters are going to be passe. Recruiters are going to go the way of the dinosaur. Tell us about that because a lot of people won't remember that there was a time where technology was supposed to replace people like you.
1: First of all, I was utterly brilliant because I started this company in the middle of a recession. So what did I know? I didn't know any better. But I, I will tell you that the dot-com bubble, when that burst, was horrible for us. Nine eleven was terrible. Horrible for us. That was a time where anything you did for a living, other than being a first responder, felt irrelevant. The next time for us, as I said, was the dot com bubble burst. The time after that was the 2008 2009 financial crisis. And then this pandemic, Marco, was a very frightening time. We have an office in New York City at 30th and 7th Avenue that I have been to once in 14 months. We still pay rent every month. I can't ask people to go back into the office until everybody is fully vaccinated. So we're we're working virtually. And so these were all very frightening times. And certainly there were times when you thought, wouldn't it be fun? I'm sure you thought this too. Wouldn't it be fun to work for somebody else? <laughs> somebody else worried about the rent. Somebody else worried about the taxes. Somebody else just wrote me a paycheck every two weeks and said, have a good weekend. Those were very anxious moments. My favorite Line was when my wife said to me after the 2008-2009 meltdown, and at that time, by the way, 20% of the people that do what I do for a living no longer do it. One fifth of the search firms or the recruiters or however you want to look at left the business. She said to me, well, "What will you do if the worst case scenario?" And I said, "What's the worst case scenario?" And you know, I was just given a hard time. And the worst case scenario is what would happen if famous associates went bankrupt, and I'd say. I guess I'd have to start all over again. Maybe this time I'd be more clever and call it Bill Inc. or something. But I, <laughs> I, I, I was committed enough doing what I did and believed enough in what we did and believed enough that you're going to need thoughtful executives in the search business to help companies make decisions on how to hire people that are not easy to hire unless you really understand the intangibles that make them successful.
0: You were honored... In an amazing event earlier this year with Dr. Fauci, Star Studded. One of the things that you talked about there was being raised as a single child. How has that impacted your relationship with other people and your professional choices, starting with what you do for a living?
1: What I said that evening was that what it reminded me of was that as an only child, my mom had said, Given the fact that you're an only child, friendships are going to be really important to you. Make friends, keep your friends, and figure out how to do that. My best friend from kindergarten, and I talk once a week, and I have a cohort of friends from high school and more of them from my time at Gettysburg and people who I have deep personal relationships with from my work life, including you. So that preparation or that kind of background, it leads nicely to being a recruiter, one of the things that people will always say about our company, about Heyman Associates, is that we show an uncanny amount of sensitivity to the candidate, to the candidate experience. Obviously, we have good relationships with our clients, or they wouldn't hire us, but it's all about the ability to build relationships and do so in a really credible, trustworthy fashion.
0: And you learned from an early age how to read the room and how to read individuals and who is full of you know what and who is a straight shooter. And that's something that AI and big data doesn't really help with, right? It's a very human quality.
1: I believe so. I spent a lot of time. We actually did a fair amount of work with the uh, graduate school at the University of Alabama School of Communications on studying the intangibles that make people successful in our business. You know, the intangibles such as self-awareness, integrity, being a lifelong learner, being a sponge for news, things like that, really being a good listener first and foremost.
0: What was the most surprising thing about that survey? I've never heard about it. It sounds fascinating.
1: Um, One of the things that I liked the most was when people talked about sort of the pivots in their career. Some of the most important pivots in their career was when they took on projects that other people didn't want to take on because they were just too audacious and too frightening. And, And yet when you take things like that on and you do it successfully, I mean, maybe what we learned the most was it was the risk takers and not the people that go along to come along that really were the ones that did the best in our business.
2: Another thing that we've talked about before is the connection with the liberal arts education and the value in that, especially how it relates to entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking. Could you talk a little bit more about that connection and what that means to you?
1: The liberal arts experience is great preparation for being an entrepreneur. And part of it is there is a little bit of a fearlessness. I mean, i choke it up to being a little naive when I said I didn't have a fallback position, but the reality is I just felt that I could get through whatever it was that I needed to get through, that I had found the right space for me. And it wasn't in law school. It wasn't in medical school. It wasn't being a professional baseball player. It was none of the things that I might've thought about when I was younger but that this was a place where I belonged. And so I think the liberal arts experience, understanding how to think critically, figure things out, and also learning how to be a good listener is really one of the most important skills that I've ever developed. I like to think that I'm a good listener. And by the way, throughout my career as an entrepreneur, I've always talked about my belief in liberal arts, and I've talked as a sidebar about the fact that my closest friends from college, I've called on every step of the way during the 32 years that I've had hanging associates, included those bumpy roads that you talked about, Marco. I remember very succinctly asking one of my closest friends from school, who had a really terrific career in the technology world, mostly in sales. And I brought him in after things kind of blew up in 2008, 2009 because of the financial crisis. And I said, I need you to talk to my team about selling. And one of the first things he said was he talked about cold calling, contacting people who you don't know. Nobody likes to do that. It's dreadful. And it was so refreshing to hear somebody who was a classically trained salesman talk like that. Try to figure out how to triangulate on your relationships a friend of a friend or the six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon or whatever it is but figure out how to get to that person in the most intimate way or personal way you can. And I thought that was brilliant. love that
0: The word the phrase rather connect with me now implies LinkedIn or tell us your either attraction or aversion to the word networking. To get a job and how it might be accurate, but it might be a misreading of how to form those connections and navigate those degrees of separation.
1: So on one hand, if I'm talking to people that are are younger, I may say it's really important to network, getting to know people, extending yourself, asking for help. I think that's terrific. On the other hand, there's something extraordinarily disingenuous because it comes across as being kind of a one-way street. What can you do for me? So I think learning how to be more of a participant in that, I often think when I talk to people about networking is how can you make this so that, that it feels much more like a relationship than a transaction? And I think that's probably the critical component.
2: Caroline, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. When I first met Bill, we talked over lunch, connected as Gettysburgians and Long Island natives and just connected. And at the time, it was so much more comfortable for me because I didn't have an explicit ask. You know, I just I wanted to know someone that was similar background that might be able to help me down the road, but I don't think I would have been able to do it and walk in and and have an agenda. I just spoke actually to Gettysburg current students and I said, "Take advantage of this time. And the cold call to make a relationship, not to pitch anything. I said, kind of play around, introduce yourself to people because it's not happening naturally the way it might have at a job fair. And just ask for maybe an informational interview or something where you don't have to put yourself in a position where you're asking explicitly for a favor.
0: How do you not look at the whole person when you're recruiting? How do you not give extra points to that candidate? who also is a mother and a father and is balancing, is not just punch in, punch out. They have other aspects of their life. Maybe it's not kids, maybe it's a philanthropic endeavor. My bias is towards more complete people, if I dare say so. And I was wondering how you deal with that because there are plenty of candidates you must have come across that are like, they're married to their work, literally and figuratively.
1: So if we think about liberal arts, we think about you have to take a course in math, you have to take a romance language, you have to take a lab science, study history, study English, whatever the broad purview is. I think life is like that. I absolutely agree. One of the things that I used to do, and this is, I would marvel when I would see moms with children. Sometimes I'd actually see them with their children commuting to New York City, meaning that they had a job that took them into New York City and in some cases, they were taking that child to a school in New York so that the child could be someplace nearby, so in case they had to work late or could go over to their office or what it was. And I thought to myself, here's a person who's not only raising a child, but working in New York. I think having a broad and more interesting life, you know, whether it's because you're engaged with your children, you're engaged with the community, doing things over and above what you do at work, I think those are really important things.
0: Bill, I remember when I told you about Primitive, the book, and I saw right away that it got your attention. And I also couldn't help but notice in our roaming acronym, you, like me, were attracted to maybe the more counterintuitive I in that acronym.
1: Yeah, I related well to insecurity. I think having a certain level of insecurity is really, really good. I like to think of it maybe a little bit like, you know, if I think about baseball, Marco, that, you know, there's this expression about baseball that if you succeed three out of 10 times, which sounds pretty miserable, but if you succeed three out of 10 times, you get into the hall of fame (laughs) Well, worrying about whether or not Heyman Associates was going to be successful, whether or not, whether we would get through those particularly bumpy roads that we talked about before, you're probably more apt to succeed. If you really put the kind of worry into those things that they And I think not thinking that you have all the answers, knowing that other people are going to be able to provide you with good answers. I think that's really important.
0: Thinking about insecurity as a value rather than a weakness, obviously within reason. What mistakes do you see candidates making at interviews or accounts of the interviews that make you wince? And it doesn't relate perhaps to overconfidence rather than worrying a little more, like you said, worrying might
1: be underrated. The thing that I notice more than anything else is I've met a lot of people. that they, they know everything. I mean, it's really <laughs> remarkable how many people I know who know everything. They've never made a mistake. I had a candidate one time have no idea why he blew up when the client said to them, tell us about a failure you've had. And the candidate said, you know, as I think about this, I don't think I've ever had a failure. (laughs) And and all I could think to myself was, ouch. I remember one time having a client say, can you tell us about a search where you failed, where, where you didn't do well. And I was able to immediately come up with, here's the search, here's what went wrong, here's what we learned from it, and there may be others. And part of that, so if I was going to say, why do people have that, Marco? I'd say it's a lack of listening. I think it's, you know, the old line about God gave you two ears and one mouth. If you use them in that proportion, you'll be successful.
0: That was Bill Heyman, the founder and CEO of Heyman Associates. You can find him on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Bill for stopping by. Primitive Moves is hosted by me, Marco Greenberg, and produced by Caroline Glennon, and Robert Scaramuccio. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Until next week, keep trusting your primal instincts.